0: This episode of Classically Speaking was released in 2018. It's called Love, Magic, and a Mechanical Tree, named after three of the best things about the famous ballet, The Nutcracker. This year, you can see Nashville Ballet's Nutcracker on television. For more information on how to watch, visit NashvilleBallet.com. Paul Vasterling and I recorded this interview backstage at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center during dress rehearsals, a bustling and crowded time that feels like a relic now. A relic that I can't wait to return to. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Listen to this overture. Notice anything about who's playing? Is anyone missing? There's no low strings. I'm Colleen Phelps, and this is Classically Speaking. Tchaikovsky's opening to the iconic ballet The Nutcracker is even called Overture Miniature. A perfect title for a piece lighter than air. Setting the stage for ballerinas and children, it's buoyant, playful. And according to Nashville Ballet Artistic Director Paul Vasterling, it's all about magic.
1: The magic of this season, the magic of the, of the holiday seasons that we have here, and um, the magic of being a kid and the, uh, that sort of wide-eyed approach to um, life and the world around you.
0: Two was wide-eyed as Nashville Ballet let me sneak in to the dress rehearsal of The Nutcracker. The shepherd and shepherdess were finishing their divertissement while I climbed over stretching ballerinas backstage to find a quiet room and give Paul Vasterling a little pop quiz to figure out just how traditional is his version of The Nutcracker. So, the New York Times published a story last year, Ten Ways to Tell If Your Nutcracker is Traditional. Uh-huh. i'm just gonna read these Great. and let you respond to them okay number one it's not a love story
1: mine is not a love story it is about finding out what love is it's not a love story though
0: number two drosselmeyer and the sugar plum fairy never meet
1: they don't meet in mine
0: which led me to the question like batman and bruce wayne are they the maybe same they're the person? same person maybe so I want to see that version they're, of the Nutcracker. Each other's
1: alter egos. That's actually a pretty good idea. I kind of like it, especially for the 21st century, right? Number three,
0: you see no characters during the overture.
1: Mine is not traditional in that sense. You do see characters during the overture. You know, I had this I, sort of Wizard of Oz-ish idea that is permeates. It goes from sepia, so from a world of no color, to color and light. And the idea is that Drosselmeyer brings her to those things, sort of light, imagination, color, and that's kind of the ballet progresses. So we kind of start in this sepia world.
0: Number four, Clara should be played by a kid, and she should only dance at the party.
1: She dances at the party in mind, but she also dances when she arrives in the land of the sweets because she's really happy.
0: Number five, Clara is not on point.
1: Number five, Clara is not on point. I I really did not want to put my Clara on point. You know, point shoes are so magical right? And she's she's a human, she's a person, and it takes away from the magic of the Sugar Plum Fairy, if Clara's on point.
0: Number six, the score goes in order.
1: Act one is, is exactly how Tchaikovsky wrote it, and he wrote it really well, which means it's hard to cut and change, right? Second act, I wanted to just shorten just a little bit for attention span. So I just I took out a repeat where the they tell the story of what happened. You know, so you hear the rat music one more time, and I just thought it was, it's lovely, but I thought we could skip it. So I have a little tiny cut there. I took the um and and put the Waltz of the Flowers near the beginning of the act to give us a little bit of a respite from these dance episodes. So in that sense, it's not traditional. That's the only thing, though, not much
0: number seven the tree grows
1: tree grows
0: number eight the post-battle music should not be danced to
1: that is not I, non-traditional that's what we call the snow It's this beautiful beautiful adagio that was originally just this you know it was called something about the uh, in the snow forest or something and um uh balanchine's does not
0: that dance is, in that, that is that actually the only nutcracker i've seen
1: the balanchine yeah mm. so the Bed kind of floats around in that right. scene. Yeah.
0: And I remember kind of thinking, why isn't anybody dancing?
1: To this really gorgeous music. Many a choreographer have thought that. And thus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's not a love story, though. Number nine, Mother Ginger. Apparently Mother Ginger is not in a lot of productions because she's too body.
1: We we have a Mother Ginger. We call her Madame Bonbonniere because she has her bonbons. But she's basically the idea of Mother Ginger. She's the woman of many children, and she's kind of crazy.
0: Number 10, the pas de dieu should be between the sugar plum fairy and her cavalier.
1: That is correct.
0: Okay. So I get, I get about yeah. eight.
1: You know, seven or eight out of ten, that's pretty good.
0: But if we only have the slightest record of the original, you know, what's original? Bees in a hive? is right. that what's at the end in right. the original? Right. Okay, and we already knew Nashville's was not completely traditional because, for one, it's not set in Nuremberg.
1: No, it is set here in our hometown.
0: Was there something pulling you to put your personal.
1: When the, up? you know, when the, the executive director at the time uh, came to me and said, I think we really should think about doing a new Nutcracker, I was like, oh, I don't know, man. That's a hard one to do I mean it's such a tradition right it's like in our bones and I had been in the one I was doing for since 1989 you know 20 years of one same production and I was like how am I going to get this out of my bones you know to, to think of something different to do with it you know I wanted to to connect to the community as much as I could here and in the, the sense of of place, I was in the library and came across this little book of the Centennial Exhibition, which I didn't really know was around that much. And you know, it, it just sort of occurred to me that there was a parallel between these international exhibits that someone could have seen at the at the exposition and the Divertissement in Act Two.
0: To it over time.
1: I haven't really added Nashville elements. I've added a lot of magic, and I change the choreography all the time. I just change a little bit. This year, I've redone the Russian dance for as a solo uh, because of the guys I have are, are really great, and you know I wanted to do something new for them. People see a lot more, you know, and they want they need to see more more things. And so, I, without messing with the music. I try to add a lot of things into it, little magic tricks and little things that are, are, are fun and, and grab your attention without, you know, really completely ignoring what the music is. It's a pretty um, tough balancing act, actually, there, because the score is, is so good, you know, and I don't want to mess it up. There's an actress here, and she's called the actress. Her name is Lucille Lassure, and she was a Nashvilleian. And uh, she actually had a career on stage, but she ended up being the voice of the witch in uh, Snow White. And so I imagine that she came home for the holidays in this production. So she's she's very, you know, she's very grand.
0: So she will be in the party scene.
1: She's in the party scene. You'll you'll see her for sure. The party is in Belmead Mansion. You know, inside of Belmead Mansion. And when you get into Act Two, uh, you go in. You see the Parthenon there. You know, you see the columns of the Parthenon. All the characters are based on Nashville people, although I don't name them in the program because it's a little bit too complicated. But, um, you know, uh, the the chancellor is Chancellor Kirkland from Vanderbilt. Uh, we call him that. And there's a physician that he had a name. They were all real people that I based them on. I wanted to keep it as kind of simple as possible for, for folks coming in to see it for the first time.
0: Is she Clara or is she Marie?
1: She's Clara, yeah. And her name is the same as you know, Stahlbaum. is the same name. And um, I, she lived, she could have lived right, really close to here, actually. Um, if you go down 6th Avenue toward where the Capitol is now, there were houses on that street. And she could have easily have lived there. And you know, you, when you look out at the uh, at the end, or you can look in the window of the, at the parlor in, in, the, in the party scene and you see the Capitol there. And at the end, um, you find Clara, of course, asleep on her couch in her house with the you know, the night sky of Nashville over her.
0: for a short break. Paul Vasterling created Nashville's Nutcracker, his own spin on a beloved tradition. So I wanted to know how common it is to make these kinds of changes. I was reading about the history of the Nutcracker, and it's gone through so many different versions, but that's not that unusual for a ballet, right?
1: You know, the, the text of, of, of these classic ballets, the way we dance them, even though we say that the choreography is after Ivanov, the original choreographer. You know the dancers were so different at the time and a, a really good example of that is if you look at the in, in act two of nutcracker we do what what is thought of as the grand pas de deux uh, is after yvonne of the original choreography but the truth was is that in 1892 men didn't really do lifts they didn't. They certainly didn't do overhead lifts. If you think about what that choreography might have looked like, and how different it is now, the the ability, the technical abilities that they have is so different than. Um, they had then, even when I was a dancer, the dancers are now are so much better than, than we were here. I mean, the dancers just improve every year with, with training, with cross-training, with you know, scientific. All those things have, have helped make dancers better. And so they can do more things. And then, of course, we, the choreographers, put more things in. You know, If you and I could go back in time right now and see it, we would both like go, oh, wow. Hmm.
0: <laughs> I think if we went back and heard it, we would do the same thing.
1: Yeah, I never thought of that. Because
0: the instruments hmm. compared maybe the violins from the 1890s are still being used now. I mean, like in mm-hmm. the Nashville Symphony, right. there are violins that are older than that. Right. But I mean, don't you think that like the celeste, the very first celeste that he had imported probably sounded like garbage? Right. While we're talking about the celeste. My favorite character of the ballet, who I think is the real hero of the piece. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the Sugar Plum Fairy Sugar Plum for a minute? Of
1: course. You know that choreography, um, the choreography for the Grand Pas de Deux and for her solo, is the, the most traditional that we have, and it is brilliant. The choreography enhances the music, and vice versa. How that is built around, it and just the way it is fit to the rhythms of the of the Tchaikovsky is pretty darn brilliant. I mean, that's my favorite part of, of her. To grab onto the role is kind of difficult because she doesn't really have a character. And what we think about her as being in her and her cavaliers, she introduces uh, Clara to the idea of love, which is a theme that comes back in many of the things that I do. And um, if you look at the Sugar Plum's tutu, you see that she has hearts on her. And um, I always, you know, you're, you're explaining, in this pas de deux, you're explaining to this young woman who has just become Infatuated with this young man that she sees, the nephew of Drosselmeyer, and she just becomes sort of like, "Wow, who is isn't And then the, the sugar plum says, "This is what love really is." And you know, even in the potato there's a place I kind of love. It is they at the very end, they finish a step, some turns downstage, and then they walk. And it's a heart-shaped pattern. They walk up to, and they stop, and they both gesture to her and make a heart, and then they come back together at the center of the heart. It's quite lovely, actually.
0: I also like to say that's how you can tell it's a little girl's dream in the end. The the leaders of the realm are are all women. That's true. Total matriarchy.
1: That's true. And it's the Dewdrop Fairy and the Sugar Plum Fairy. Those are the two. I mean, that's ballet, though. I mean, in ballet, the woman is... The leader being that point work is the realm of a, of a female dancer, and they really do it, or able to do it better, kind of sets them apart in, in, in the world of ballet. And I like to think of it as something as, that sets them apart as being powerful. There's a specialness about being on point that the Sugar Plum Fairy kind of embodies. I mean, what we have, when she first enters, she comes down the stairs and the first thing she does is a bourree, you know, those little, the step that's on point, that's all, that sort of glides across the stage.
0: That whole description makes me think of being a little girl and putting on my mother's shoes. Right. And how that was such a power move. Yes. But the Sugar Plum Fairy has a pot to do with her cavalier and it always made me wonder, like, what is that love story? Like, between the two of them, I mean, I
1: think it's about perfect love. It really is. The music is so beautiful. And I love that adagio so much, and it still to this it day it gives you
0: so many goosebumps. And it is yes. just a descending major scale. I,
1: I know. And so he wrote it on a dare. Forty years for me of Nutcracker. Not kidding. Forty years, every year, I still adore that adagio. It's so beautiful and so just so brilliantly simple and so romantic.
0: Didn't Balanchine say that the tree is the ballerina of Act 1 and the Sugar Plum Fairy is the ballerina of Act 2?
1: I never have heard of that, but the tree is so important to me. Ask anybody around here, Drosselmeyer makes the tree grow and then he throws light onto it and then he changes the light into colored light. You know, the reason that the music for the tree growing is so loud is because they needed it to be to mask the mechanics of the tree. If you can imagine, it was making a lot of noise as it was growing up. And they, that's why his music is so loud there. Some of the greatest music in the in the ballet too. When the key changes, it's I adore that moment too.
0: the harp solo at the beginning of the Waltz of the Flowers. I've played the chalice part for Sugar Plum Fairy, but as excited as I was about that, I think I would have been more pumped to be the harpist at the beginning of Waltz of the Flowers. Because that's a really nice part. It's beautiful. Yeah,
1: it's really gorgeous. I only I, mean, I love the at- beginning of the snow, what we the part that shouldn't be choreographed per um, the, the New York Times. There's harp in that, too. that starts with a harp, you know, in the very beginning. It's really beautiful. I have a lot of moments that I'm kind of a geek about it. I mean, I guess you'd have to be, you know, to, to see it and hear it every time. I can still remember my first experience of it, you know. I lived out in the country, a kid on the bayou in this little in this little town outside of New Orleans. And this woman recruited me in the summer to be in her school, and of course, first December that came around I was in the Nutcracker I was the I was the nutcracker I couldn't do a thing I just stood there but I watched I got to watch the whole thing the music was what got me I mean of course the choreography did too but I mean the music is what got me
0: Tchaikovsky ballet scores yeah mm-hmm. do you have a what might have been moment with the music since you were a pianist do you do you have a like a little bit of a oh I could have been conducting that
1: oh man I think that I am really a frustrated I think if I could, you know, have any profession, I would probably be a composer. That would be what I would really, you know, in the next life, I suppose. I would like to, I like to just stand there and let the music wash over me. I don't want to have to have any responsibility for it. <laughs> so I envy the conductor being able to stand there because you're surrounded by the music and it makes you, I mean, it makes me want to move. But um, I don't know that I would want to conduct it, no. What I think is the best and when it, when it really works is that the two work and mesh together and they enhance each other's existence. You know, the dance, the choreography, and the music. They're so connected. They're not, you know, I I try not to mimic it too much, the music, I'm not trying to do every little single thing. I'm trying, when I do my best work as a choreographer, I um, accent the music in a different way and try to open up new things in it when I'm doing the best uh, choreography that I've done, actually, it's gonna be magical, that's it. You just look for the magic. Listen for the magic, too.
0: Classically Speaking is a production of Nashville Public Radio's 91 Classical. The show is edited by Nina Cardona and Anita Bug. Excerpts of the Nutcracker Suite came from the Cincinnati Pops and the Montreal Symphony, and movements of the full ballet came from the Boston and St. Louis symphonies. Listen to Classically Speaking for free anytime on 91classical.org in the Nashville Public Radio app, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, help us get the word out with a rating or a review. I'm Colleen Phelps. Thanks for enjoying your backstage pass to Nashville's classical music, Classically Speaking.